Welcome to the Climate Pelicans Brief, a podcast bridging the gap between climate science and Louisiana frontline communities. I'm Corinne Salter. And I'm Jill Tapitza. Join us as we disentangle environmental justice issues facing Louisiana using peer-reviewed science as well as the voices and lived experiences of community leaders. Our goals are to uplift activist platforms and raise awareness about the many environmental puzzles in Louisiana. While contextualizing everything through the lens of climate crisis mitigation. Welcome to another episode of Climate Pelicans Brief. Today we're going to be doing an overview of one of the biggest environmental issues facing Louisiana and some solutions on the horizon, sea level rise and land loss. We're going to frame the issue and discuss the current solutions. You can expect to learn how local rates of sea level rise in Louisiana are much different than those around the globe, the importance of our wetlands and how the Louisiana Coastal Master Plan attempts to correct wetland loss and some environmental justice implications associated with wetland loss. Today is all about wetlands, so prepare to be amazed even if you've never had the chance to set foot in one. My grandpa Victor used to look over the dinner table and ask me who the most important person in a city was. I'm not sure what I answered at the time, but I was pretty young and probably replied with the mayor or all those super cool scientists (laughs) or something like that. And he would smile and say, it's the garbage person. He described to me the importance of waste management in a city and how nobody would be able to live in a city where the waste wasn't removed or properly disposed of. Grandpa Victor said you should always know the name of your garbage person and thank them for their work. Hmm. And that idea stuck with me. Yeah, I had a lot of weird um, learnings over the table as a a kid. (laughs) You always pick the weirdest topics. Um, But this idea really stuck with me. And using this logic, wetlands might be the most important ecosystem for the persistence of the human species. They are nature's waste treatment system. They filter water that comes off the land and they bury waste in their sediments and recycle the rest. They provide services that we usually don't see firsthand but are essential for life on earth. When wetlands come under threat, it's kind of like removing the waste management system in a city. And according to Grandpa Victor, we're as good as dead without our waste management system. Grandpa Victor was a very smart man. Or he is. was. He he was very he smart. He was, yeah. That's very sweet. I love that story. So I'm glad that he blessed you with that information because that's just an awesome anecdote to share. Um, Okay, so with all that being said, let's talk about some of the amazing benefits of wetlands. Most people have a general idea about how great wetlands are, but let's address two reasons for why they are so important to Louisiana, where climate change impacts are already well underway. The first thing that comes to mind about wetlands is carbon sequestration, the natural kind. And we've talked, we've talked extensively about our climate problem, and our issue is that we have too much CO2 in the atmosphere due to the burning of fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Well, wetlands suck all that CO2 out. They also use barrier recycle a lot of the nutrients that come off the land from fertilizers, which are terrible for the oceans that are just on the other side of the wetlands mm-hmm. from the land, generally. Um, they are na- uh, natural wastewater management. Fun fact. Did you know that cattails are one of the best plants for removing extra phosphorus, which is something that's in fertilizers that's maybe good for your garden, but really bad for overall ocean health? Mm-hmm. Uh, cat, cattails, or as I affectionately call them, typha, which is their <laughs> genus, are all over our Louisiana coastal wetlands. 
Um, and the guy we hire, Adam Sanji from Coastal Mapping and Sciences LLC, to help our lab with field work, calls them vegan corn dogs, <laughs> which just kills me. <laughs> That's so funny. I love that. Whenever I saw them as kids, as a kid too, I would be like, "Ooh, yum! Corn dogs—they look so good." Have you ever been into one? <laughs> no, but like, good. I think I knew someone who did, and I was like, after that, it's never. Like, it's like full of, full of pull fluff. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is that fluff that's coming out of it? Like yeah. stuffing. It was. It looked like a like stuffed animal. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, you need a lot of water to wash that down. <laughs> yeah. <Here. laughs> I don't think they swallowed it. Thank God, but they were kind of a an unhinged child. <laughs> Excellent. We love that. Someone has tried a vegan corn dog, and the results are in. It's not. good good um but yeah so we in louisiana are actually living on top of a huge climate solution marsh plants seagrasses and mangroves all which inhabit wetlands lock up carbon from the atmosphere into their tissues and keep them there for long periods of time like our own little co2 scrubbers love that (laughs) um so we covered carbon sequestration as a major benefit of wetlands to the climate the second one i want to focus on is storm impact mitigation which is very um salient to us in louisiana Mm. wetlands are very effective at slowing down storms and the storm surges that come along with storms um Having this living shoreline protect coastal Louisiana is more valuable than any levee, water pump, or other infrastructure measure in between us and nature. Wetland plants attenuate storms as they come inland, and they act as mops to absorb water that gets pushed up onto the land. In contrast to hard infrastructure that allows water to pile up and then slosh quickly in the opposite direction, which is actually called a seiche. Um, so in contrast to that, wetlands absorb energy from moving water, which affords us storm protection. And there are so many more benefits to wetlands that we could talk about, and we will address them in later episodes, such as biodiversity, water quality mitigation, aquaculture, etc. But let's focus on these two, the carbon sequestration and the storm impact mitigation for the time being. So for now, keep in mind that wetlands are globally important ecosystems and locally important heroes. And let's move on to what happens to them as our sea levels rise. Yeah, so wetlands are some of the most important ecosystems on Earth, but we're losing them really fast. Louisiana contains about 40% of the wetlands in the continental United States, but it has suffered about 80% of the total U.S. wetland loss. This means that wetlands in Louisiana are more vulnerable than they are in any other place. Accelerated by rates, uh, accelerated rates of SLR is the main reason for this, but things like um coastal erosion from oil and gas canals natural disasters and invasive species are also part of the equation and add to the loss we're here to give you the highlights about sea level rise in la and how coastal erosion factors in let's get into how sea level rise comes into play here so whenever we refer to slr we will be referring to sea level rise Yes, SLR, sea level rise. Um, Nice. So sea level rise can be broken into two pieces. Mm -hmm. The first piece is the global average sea level rise, or SLR, also known as eustatic sea level rise, or ESLR. Mm -hmm. And the second piece to sea level rise is the relative sea level rise, which is the sea level rise at any specific location. So that's a rate. Both of these are rates. Um, And it's a combination of the eustatic or the global rate plus all the local effects that change it, such as land subsidence, Mm -hmm. which we have a lot of in Louisiana. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, Unfortunately. The global average sea level rise is due to two factors mainly. So this is just factoring into that first chunk, the the global average. Um, The first is the melting of land ice on Earth. 
um, which we know is well underway, our sad little polar bears. Mm-hmm. I know. So as our icy environments melt, think Antarctica, Greenland, etc., that water flows off the land where it used to be, and into the ocean, thereby increasing the volume of the ocean. So mm-hmm. you're filling up the cup, the the sea level is rising. So the second part of that um, equation is the thermal expansion of ocean water. As the water heats up, the volume increases. And you can't really see this difference if you boil a cup of water at home, but when all the water molecules in the ocean are experiencing this increase in temperature, that is a sizable volume increase. Yeah, for sure. So that is eustatic sea level rise, as Jill was saying. Um, So basically, now there's more water in the ocean um, because of, you know, the ice caps melting and then warmer water because the water is becoming warmer it's taking up more space and of course this is all due to global temperature increases due to climate change right fabulous recap and we can average these sea levels across the globe because we know how fast the global ice is melting we've measured it um, and we know how much thermal expansion to account for and the current eustatic rate of sea level rise is two millimeters per year Yeah, two millimeters per year is the baseline, and our SLR either adds or subtracts from that. Exactly, and that's our SLR is our relative sea level rise. Um, And in Louisiana, the relative part adds a lot to that rate. The average rate of relative sea level rise in Louisiana is about 12 plus or minus eight millimeters per year. So not only is that rate way bigger than the global average of two Mm -hmm. millimeters per year, but there's also a lot of wiggle room. So that gives us a range of four to 20 millimeters per year. But I've also heard in areas closest to the Mississippi River outlet, it can be as high as 35 millimeters per year. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So huge difference. And 12 millimeters might not seem like much, but when you consider the low grade of the land in Louisiana, uh, 12 12 millimeters of vertical sea level rise leads to the sea claiming lots of land, tons of land each year on the order of thousands of square kilometers. Yeah, on any given year, like hundreds of thousands of square kilometers can be lost. Um, And most of that land loss is currently coming out of our wetlands, which, if you ask me, is one of the worst places we could be losing it uh, from right now. Yeah, so um, with that being said, I really want to know more about what makes relative sea level rise in Louisiana and wetland loss so much higher than anywhere else. Oh, and don't I want to tell you about it? (laughs) Uh, We've got a few reasons for this, and they can all be separated into major categories of either land subsidence or coastal erosion. So think of like land subsidence. The land is physically moving down. The sea Mm -hmm. level, as we know, on a global average is moving up, which makes that rate much bigger. And coastal erosion is kind of pulling things off the top layer. So that's also factoring in it. So let's go down the list, and you might be surprised by what you hear on this list. (laughs) All right, we ready? Yes. Okay, we've got a few items here. (laughs) First one, subsurface fluid removal, which is basically a fancy way of saying drilling oil, gas, and water out of the earth. Mm -hmm. When you suck out the liquid from the earth, the local geology remodels itself to close in on space. Yeah, that makes sense. So like to provide an example, if you're drinking a milkshake and the cherry on top represents your house on top of land and the milkshake is the fluid, if you continue to drink through the straw, your house subsides. So like kind of whenever you're like drinking a milkshake and you have like whipped cream that's like separating. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like the milkshake beneath is like what you're drilling out when once that milkshake is gone, like the the um 
whipped cream itself is not as strong. Like it doesn't have anything supporting it underneath. So it's basically just like this flimsy little like film over the top that just eventually is going to cave in. Exactly. Yeah. And we, we drill oil and even water, but like let's focus on oil because it's the big one. Right. Like we're drilling oil on the earth and we're not really thinking about you know, like that volume, yeah. like where are we taking that from? Right. That's coming out of the earth, y'all. Exactly. It's moving Louisiana physically down, mm-hmm. down into the sea. <laughs> yeah, that's why so many areas of um, Louisiana have had so many sinkholes and why they've had to have like, for instance, like in Bayou Corn, where they had like that huge sinkhole, they had to evacuate like quite a few homes and it was like quite a huge loss for a lot of people right yeah we're talking about sort of these like generalized rates of subsidence but Mm -hmm. it is worthy to note that like it is not an even process these things happen in like sinkhole form like these things happen in you know unstable geological events which Mm -hmm. we honestly we don't need any more problems here we don't need to add to that problem (laughs) let's not invite that okay so are we ready to move on to our second line item um our second uh reason for land subsidence and coastal original Louisiana is sediment compaction and this one is natural sediment that flows down the Mississippi River and deposits at the mouth of the river is extremely heavy mm-hmm. if you've ever tried to pick up a bag of sand before oh you gosh. know this right yeah. like sandbags <laughs> trying to yeah we've all been there so we know that even that small amount of sediment is really heavy so think about that on the scale of what's being brought down a river so since the river is always flowing the sediment is constantly piling up and weighing down what's underneath it yeah and this is like you know, a natural process, like Jill said, it's like a dog pile of sediment. The river landscape is constantly trying to change. The current river delta is only about 7,000 years old. That's pretty young in terms of geology. Um, And the river naturally adds sediment to the surrounding area and wiggles and changes shapes over long periods of time, which super cool. Yeah, like we think about the river as like this unmoving thing, but it's really because we've levied it. Mm -hmm. And if we let it just kind of move and shake and whatever, yeah, yeah, that's we're going to talk way more about that in this episode and others but yeah the the natural like it's we are living on this baby delta it's It's, so cool we expect it to stay here forever for us but it's actually like the data shows that the river is actually trying to move yeah it's trying to move i think north i believe we're not letting it that's the thing is that like humans think that we have this like ability to like you know geoengineer our way around things and basically like create this separation between ourselves and nature and create this civilized society that is not so connected to nature but honestly like nature is more powerful than us like we can't stop it as much as we think that we can and we engineer our way around it it's it's unchanged like it's unchanging it's unwavering and it's way more powerful than we are go off (laughs) (laughs) okay so we've been through subsurface fluid removal we've talked about sediment compaction the third one is oil and gas canals Mm. now this one is interesting and it goes under the heading of coastal coastal erosion so we're not really talking about like the drilling activity we're talking about the canals that are dredged um the oil and gas industry has irrevocably altered Mm -hmm. the landscape of the marsh by digging canals through it so that it can get all their equipments and tankers etc back and forth and i'm not sure who allowed this in the first place Hmm. because they dig them straight through the marsh but shame on them these canals fracture the marsh so you're literally cutting them up into little pieces allowing salty water and storm activity to rip more quickly through the marsh tearing it up even further and widening the existing holes in the marsh um And just as an example, hurricanes Rita and Katrina together resulted in 513 square kilometers of marsh lost. And to put that into perspective, just a little under 4,000 square kilometers of marsh were lost between the years 1930 and 1990. So 
Over the course of two storms, oil and gas canals alone allowed the destruction of 13% of what was lost over 60 years. Wow. So, like, that's a really heavy con- contribution to coastal erosion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Basically, just, like, Swiss cheese marsh is what they're creating. And that's more vulnerable to, lo- to loss. Those marsh edges, those marsh edge lines are the most sensitive parts of the marsh in terms of loss. So, if we are literally, like, driving, all digging these canals through them and creating creating more of that, then the marsh gets lost even faster. Also, people love to not talk about this reason for marsh loss because it supports the greater scheme of oil and gas being detrimental to Louisiana. Yeah, people hate to listen to that or they don't, yeah. they're not really first, it's not the first thing to get brought up. Yeah, it's sometimes it seems like marsh, marshland is really thought of as like, this nuisance but genuinely it's such a a powerful ecosystem that is has protected us for this long and feeding into the narrative of oil and gas being good for us is just completely detrimental to everything we have going on in louisiana even our our livelihoods right like i read an article in the advocate the other day that was i think it was a couple weeks ago it was um about the coastal master plan and like how coastal erosion and land subsidence happen in louisiana Mm -hmm. it was very informational i'm glad that they're getting that info out to the public but i was like where's the narrative about how the oil and gas industry has shaped this land right because it's not just a i mean it's causing like huge damage and yeah. it, it needs to be factored into the equation and there's studies out there that support it there's we got plenty of data but mm-hmm. we need to like make it more normalized normalize talking about oil and gas normalize it because and it how is... it has impacted the physical geology of louisiana right it's done so much to undermine the great lands that we have but then also our community resilience as well so like we can't be resilient if they're literally chopping up the thing that protects us the natural gifts that we have that literally protect us from flooding and from hurricanes and that's a good point that you bring that up too because even whenever I think back to being in um like geography or just any sort of science class back whenever I was in high school or even sometimes in undergrad that was something that we did not talk about was how oil and gas did this like we talk about how we're losing land and, and so much to coach coastal erosion and we'll hear things like oh you know there's this plan to send all these christmas trees down the river to like keep building (laughs) (laughs) which like by the way did happen (laughs) it's a thing but like no one talks about the impacts of the oil and gas industry and how they are literally causing so much of our accelerated loss yeah, and that's going to become apparent with the uh, several other things I've got here on the yeah, list too. I'm but yeah, so but that's the big one: oil and gas canals. Um, papers by Jean Turner. Just look it up. Yeah, I promise you won't be disappointed. Um, so our first, our fourth heading here is seismic activity along fault lines. Yes, we do have seismic activity in Louisiana. Just to take that question right out of the running and so this is also mostly natural like you know we have earthquakes Mm -hmm, it happens we've got really deep fault lines here and so when they shake um um you know it allows the geology to sort of reform around them and fill in that space so this is mostly natural but it is worth worth mentioning that oil and gas drilling as well as future carbon capture and storage projects can actually increase the Mm -hmm. seismic activity um and so while it is natural we do not need to be exacerbating it any further yeah so go and listen to our episode on ccs carbon capture and storage um to hear a little bit about how that can affect seismic activity um yeah so the bottom line that we're getting here is that you really shouldn't mess with your natural geology 
just let rocks be rocks. Let be rocks. That's <laughs> like, all they want to be. Right. <laughs> That's all they can be. That's all they should be. Right? Like, just don't get in there. <laughs> yeah. Leave, leave it alone. <laughs> leave it alone. <laughs> leave it underground. Um, okay. So the next bit is invasive species like nutria. Um, so this goes again under the coastal erosion, not the land subsidence mm-hmm. um, category. Invasive species like neutral. And I've got to admit, these guys are really cute. If you've ever seen a nutria, I know not a lot of people feel that way. That's so funny. <laughs> um, but I think they are precious and they are rodents. Um, and the damage that they do to the marsh is definitely not cute. Yeah, definitely. Um, Nutria were introduced in the 1930s because people like to farm them, skin them, and wear their fur. But a few of these critters uh, escaped fur farms, and honestly, I don't blame them. Right. And now they're everywhere. And their favorite snack, the mm. ruche. There, it's not. It's not the vegan corn dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's the roots of marsh plants. Yeah. So uh, that's funny that you say that nutria are cute because I've just like grown up being in Louisiana people just being like nutria are the devil and it'll just show these like evil pictures of them with their like orange buck teeth just like poking out and it's like if you see them get rid of them yeah i mean i think their tails go for like five dollars yeah at this point like you you need a permit but you can still hunt them yeah you can hunt them and make money off of them because of how much they're causing you know issues <laughs> i've never even heard of a nutria before really? moving here but That's you're right so the, the narrative have been like they are the devil yeah like i remember seeing them in textbooks and it's just like a photo of them in the corner and they're like they have their demon eyes with like their orange buck teeth poking out i see them and i'm like oh it's like a beaver without a fun tail <laughs> That's so funny that's so wild how like you know our upbringings just like change your perception of things like that it's so yeah, funny hilarious um but yeah, yeah they make dog treats out of them oh really for whatever reason they only have blueberry flavor as far as i've ever found and i honestly i'm glad that i can buy them because i don't eat meat so i'm like but i can buy it for my dog she eats meat so i bought honestly i've never smelled anything worse oh i can imagine (laughs) really bad sounds awful (laughs) we flavor them with blueberry i can't tell what's worse okay i'm like why did you do this um you know what it was a decision that was made blueberry doesn't fix everything you know (laughs) (laughs) and we would all do well to remember that (laughs) we must (laughs) okay so So nutria rip up the roots of the marsh plants, and the marsh plants are the things that are holding the marsh in place. The roots provide stability and extra storm protection, but now they're being, they're basically filling the bellies of furry rodents that people brought here. Yeah, okay. So nutria, invasive species, don't release yeah unknown wildlife no. into your just yeah you, you never know what's gonna take just like as a general rule just like just if it's don't not do from it. that area if it's not native to that area don't maybe put it there. just don't yeah don't just don't do put it. it out just resist the temptation <laughs> resist to really the urge <laughs> this applies to plants as well yeah plants as <laughs> well too especially um but yeah that's that's another topic for another day right so moving on to another thing that increases coastal erosion in louisiana and that Mm. is levees on the mississippi Mm. river and i'm thinking this one might surprise you because most louisianans see levees as a good thing exactly right many of us have been having a levee is the only thing standing between us and water that would be enough to drown us or level our homes so we get it um however what if i told you that building a wall might protect us from storms but at the same time it will slowly cause us to be more vulnerable to those same storms And here's how it works. There was this huge flood in, I think, 1924, Mm -hmm. and it really had people freaking out. They were like, oh, my goodness, you know... (laughs) 
what do you know we knocked down all the trees next to this huge river and we built a city and Mm. then the river overflowed as it has been doing for thousands of years and it damaged all of our stuff and um we're just flabbergasted about it so how about when we rebuild this build this city by the way in the exact same place that we built it before we put up a huge wall between us and the river that ought to fix it wipes hands together (laughs) (laughs) um so people levied the river um, essentially streamlining it and then straightening it out. So they put these, If you, in case you're not from Louisiana, you've never seen a levee. It's basically keeping, it's like a big straw almost mm-hmm. that you put barriers up on either side of the yeah. river and it's kind of creating a straw out of a river. Exactly, yeah. So it's speeding up the water and it's straightening it out. And there are so many problems with that. And we're only going to address one here. And that is that the sediments from the river have been redirected away from the wetlands since about 1924. Like this is this river system has been disconnected yeah. from its surrounding wetlands. Yeah, exactly. And that was something that I really had to wrap my head around. Like whenever I first started, like with my environmental journey, learning that levees were something that people thought of as such a positive thing, you know, it's going to protect our homes, it protects us from flooding, it protects us from all these issues with like hurricanes. I didn't realize like at the time growing up, you know, you're told that your entire life, and then suddenly you realize, wow, that's actually preventing, (laughs) it's actually preventing our coasts from rebuilding themselves, basically. And so like, that's the huge issue is that these wetlands require a continuous input of sediment in order to keep pace with sea level rise. And sediment comes in from the river and gets trapped in gets trapped in the wetland by plants these plants then use the sediment to help to help them grow vertically in that situation your marsh keeps pace with the changing sea level so in our situation we have basically built a water slide for sediment to shoot into the gulf of mexico so basically all of that sediment that could be helping us rebuild is going into the gulf of mexico where it's basically helping no one no one yeah and now we're trying to correct this problem and it's just unfortunate because it's created this like we think, you know, oh, levees are supposed to protect us, but it's created basically like this feedback loop that just makes it even harder to protect against whenever we can't even keep pace with the rising sea levels. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we, we've been talking about a lot of problems here, so we're going to yeah. transition into <laughs> solutions. Um, solutions. But that's like sort of, you know, and there's a lot to unpack in yeah. all of these areas. Um, I would say that because I've like written my dissertation on pretty much this one yeah. issue. So I'll try not to get into the weeds too much <laughs> about it. But um, we are going to transition to solutions. And that will lead us to our discussion of how the Louisiana Coastal Master Plan aims to fix this problem. Now, like it's not going to totally fix it, but right. it's going to try. Um, but to wrap up, we are losing our marsh due to processes involving sea level rise, land subsidence, which is mostly due to human activities along the coast, and coastal erosion, which is also mostly due to human activities along the coast, as well as climate change. And the items we just discussed that contribute to that loss are not an extensive list. We've only covered the major players here. Right. There's a lot more happening all the way from, you know, oil and gas subsurface fluid removal, which we did talk about, yeah. to like minor boating activities. Mm-hmm. Like it, the list goes on. But we, those are the major ones. Those are the main ones to yeah. keep your eye on, wrap your head around. Um, and so in response to this, the Coastal Master Plan lays out a $50 billion plan over the next 50 years. So $1 billion to be spent each year. By the way, the majority of this money was a settlement from the BP oil spill back in two in 2010. This is not taxpayer money. This is money that was coughed up by this company for killing 11 people and criminal damage to a habitat that will never be the same. And 
I don't like to hold a grudge, but we're still mad about it. Actually, I we're, do like to hold yeah. a grudge. <laughs> Actually, I do. Because <laughs> I remember after the BP oil spill, they sent out one of their execs to come in, like, you know, do their little apology tour. Um, and basically, the exec literally said, I want my life back too. And so a lot of the people of Louisiana started making shirts of pelicans dripping in oil that said in like, you know, a little thought bubble, I want my life back too. Good for them. Yeah. Because honestly, that's yeah. such a Louisiana sassy my thing to do. My mom has one of those love, shirts. Of course she does. <laughs> I loved it. She would just wear it anywhere and it would be like, I want my life back too. Because so many Louisianians and the wildlife that we literally have that are native to our area that make up the great ecology that is Louisiana, we all want our lives back too. We wish we could go to pre-BP um, oil spill because it was ridiculous the way they responded. And the fact that $50 billion, it doesn't even begin to cover the damages that they not caused. Not even. And 13 years later, things are not the same. Right. I never got to see this area before that time. Yeah. I will never even know. I know. And I hate that too, because like so many people should be able to see how beautiful Louisiana is prior to this oil and gas taking over unfortunately and that's what i envision for louisiana going forward is seeing us without that sort of um inundation from oil and gas like them just thinking that they can come in spill all their oil make all their money and then just leave and basically say things like they want their life back no we want our lives back like what (laughs) no yeah Yeah, my lab was actually thinking about because we work in these areas and we get into these sort of like uncompacted sedimentary habitats and Mm -hmm. we have to get in the water and we're actually discussing using dry suits instead of wetsuits because wetsuits are wet mm-hmm. and they you actually come in contact with like the sediment mm-hmm. and the um and the water anything that gets stirred up in the water is can can touch your body yeah. and we were like we've got to think about the BP oil spill That's because th- it happened here yeah. and if we jump and we we sink you know more than 13 years into the sediment yeah. we are going to be hitting some pretty nasty stuff so you know I could die any day now yeah it's so <laughs> sick no but j- You know, genuinely, you never know. And it's just so sad that we have to think about things like that. Um, Because if they didn't exist, we wouldn't have to. But I can tell you, you will never see BP show their face around Louisiana ever again. Whenever I go outside of Louisiana and I see a BP gas station, I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) by the way, that was a hiss. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, how dare you? You I never noticed that there aren't any... Okay, yeah, I'm going to start not seeing that everywhere right. now. I, exactly, like you can't unsee it. Um, but yeah, so like I was saying, uh, funding from this plan actually comes from them, from their settlement. Um, so funding this plan was literally the bare minimum that BP could have done to make reparations. And honestly, bare minimum, maybe not even scratching the bare the minimum. Lowest bar yeah, possible. literally. Like how do you put a price on people's lives lost and also the amount of protection and plant and wildlife that we lost from that too and are honestly like still could be continuing to lose if they didn't fully liquidate and give everything including their own mortal lives over like it's not enough just shut down honestly liquidate shut down disappear that's what they could have done. Anyways, <laughs> I was talking about BP. It's like whenever you see like a full moon and there are wolves howling about it, like one of us howls and the other person howls. And we, and just, we just get, get each other going. <laughs> that's funny. But listen, that's what you listen for. 
<laughs> is for our impassioned rambling, but scientifically backed. Yes, um, absolutely. Okay, so there are quite a few projects outlined in the Coastal Master Plan that attempt to mitigate this land loss. It's important to note that this plan, even with everything in it, will at best slow down land loss. It will not result in a net land gain for the coast. It builds up in some areas, but there will be major losses in others. So 1,100 square miles so 1,100 miles, square miles would be lost without actions in the current master plan. One of the biggest projects are called sediment diversions. And sediment diversions, which I'll resist talking about too much because they really are the focus of my <laughs> dissertation research, are the attempt to reconnect the river with the surrounding wetland areas. And remember that levering problem that we just talked about that cuts off the sediment supply from the marsh? Well, that's what the sediment diversions are trying to fix. They will cut a manageable hole into the side of the river levee and redirect sediment and fresh water into the surrounding wetlands to help um, that land keep pace with sea level rise. Mm -hmm. And there are currently five sediment diversions in the planning or permitting stages. And the first one will be in Barataria Bay, just south of New Orleans. Yeah, so this idea already sounds like it's using the idea that we should let the river do this thing instead of trying desperately to control it. I agree. It's sort yeah. of like a halfway point. It's like, we'll cut a hole. We're not just going to bust everything up, which mm -hmm. is probably for the best because yeah. it's been cut off for, you know, 100 years. Can do a lot of damage with that. But it's the project that the sediment diversion project that is, is the one that's likely to see the most return on investment. So for the lowest cost, we get the greatest amount of land built or protected, or at least, you know, for a time. Yeah. Um, and but but like every huge plan that att attempts to correct climate change induced impacts, it is full of trade offs. Um, like any environmental justice trade-offs? You bet. We've got economic trade-offs, ecosystem trade-offs, justice trade-offs, you name it. Money is being spent and decisions have been made. There are two things that are considered central in the coastal protection and to the Coastal Protection and Restoration Agency, which is the state agency appointed to make these plans and see them through. The first important thing is the economy, of course, that mm -hmm. always comes out on top. Yeah. Not that it's not important, but like... We'll get into that. Yeah. Um, the need to protect the um, economic interests of Louisiana above all, um, which means that we need to keep New Orleans from going underwater. Mm. So that's like central piece number one is the economy. And the second thing that they're holding very central is land loss. Their goal is to their goal is to build up the land and or prevent it from being lost. And everything after that is secondary. Mm. It's all about how much sediment can we get to stick? How much sediment can we direct to these areas? It's all about land 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 yeah. land so with that being like the primary focus the primary goal that kind of means that like marine mammal morality is secondary um impacts to oyster folk are secondary uh ecosystem-wide implications are secondary new orleans is important culturally and economically but many of these projects especially the ones that involve hard infrastructure prioritize new orleans at the expense of other places we've decided to to build diversions and other structures and places that strategically pre preserve the economic centers of Louisiana. This makes sense from a government standpoint, but we take a little issue with the way these decisions are being framed. As we navigate a world under climate change scenarios, why are we still prioritizing the economy over human life? The people who stand to lose the most are typically in rural areas that don't provide a huge, uh, large tax base. 
It's not that we're taking issue here with the coastal master plan or anything specifically in it. Like we are pro coastal master plan, but we just like to pose the question for us to all think about together. Where is the justice for these parts of Louisiana that don't make that don't make money for the state? Are they less valuable? Where's the justice for these human communities that have been living in a sacrifice zone for the past century? If they aren't a priority before we start making huge strides in this restoration project, how can we expect them to ever be a priority? priority boom yeah that's where we're ending kind of right (laughs) um so yeah something to food for thought there for all of us to think about because we will revisit this issue this whole podcast episode was just kind of framing this there's Uh, so much more to unpack so so much more for sure so thank you for tuning in this week pelicans we hope that you learned something um and now for our favorite part our to action and we've got a little story for this one. Ooh. This week, I was out doing fieldwork in Barataria Bay, so where the site of the first diversion is to be built. Mm. Um, I've been working there for almost five years now, and our team spotted and reported an oil spill. Ugh. Ugh. Um, Honestly, this made me so angry. We came upon it and we were like, what is that thing? What is that smell? And we had been seeing dolphins and birds all over the place all day. And they had been actually coming up to us in the water. The dolphins, they were like, I was within like 10 or 20 feet of a dolphin. Like the pod would come up there just being so playful. But all of a sudden, like we weren't seeing them anymore. And we saw this crazy thing in the distance that was just like spewing oil. And it turns out it was just like a, a... well that had been not operational for a really long time and it was causing this damage so you know we went through the appropriate channels we tried to um get as much attention for it Mm -hmm. as we can because like it's not like we like attention but drawing attention to these environmental issues that are typically ignored um is the only way we're ever going to justice for them so we we went through that whole rigmarole and we were able to figure out that the company responsible was called x-tex production offshore a covington-based fossil fuel company that had over five similar spills this year so small scale but like when you're looking at it in person it is like it's really going like i think the coast guard way underestimated the barrels of oil spill they also estimated it before they capped it so Mm. i'm thinking it was way more and these things are always underestimated it was estimated at like 10 to 15 barrels but i would I would say it was maybe 10 times more than yeah. that. It was crazy. Because it's continuously spewing at like for however long it's Over been doing Over 48 that. hours. That's like from wild. when we noticed it. Yeah, from when y'all noticed yeah. it just alone. And it had been reported previously, but we don't know when. Oh, wow. Yeah, not sure. So um, these people... Um, this company has left old leaky wells all over coastal Louisiana, has not d- properly decommissioned them, even though they haven't been operational since about the mid-1990s. Wow. Those wells, not the company. The company is doing fine. Mm-hmm. Not for long. Um, and now they're causing heinous explosions and killing wildlife and oiling the marsh, just like we talked about That's with the so BP sick. oil spill, just a smaller scale. But it's yeah. happening. It's more frequent. Right. A lot of these go unreported. A lot of them are under the water. You can't see exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this is just one that happened to have a boat full of environmental advocate coastal scientists right. go by. Their worst nightmare. <laughs> this is their worst nightmare. It's the worst thing that could have happened for right. them. But we are. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tie this up because we're gonna. Um, we're gonna let you know what you can do to help us right. here. Um, but this is criminal. It is. Like what they did was criminal. So please help us by calling attention to this spill. We've got social mo- media posts on Instagram. Um, so this week, our call to action involves calling attention to this spill. Yes. So please go on our Instagram and share one of our posts or articles about it. There's some articles that were written um, about it by some journalists. And we've got we've got pictures. We've got labels. Just yeah. take something and post it 
create it. Um, creating this kind of public display helps us ensure that this company is held accountable for their exactly, crimes. Without yeah. this pressure, the these um, agencies that oversee the cleanup will often sort of dial back. Yeah, They don't have the pressure to create that justice. They need people to really push it. So let's push it, everybody. Yeah. Um, so share with one person, share on your Insta story, share in any other way you see fit. So thanks, y'all. And we will see you next week. Thank y'all. Thank <laughs> you.